How's it going, guys? Uh, hope you guys are having a good summer so far. Hopefully everyone's out of, of class so far. Get a, get a couple months off um, and you're enjoying the podcast. This episode is brought to you powerfully by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication, offering cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their program to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com. You can email them at info at sidelinepower.com or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. This podcast episode is also brought to you by SkyCoach. SkyCoach is the proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. Why is this? Uh, one of the big reasons that I've said continuously, but, but I can't say it uh, enough because it does work so well, is the butt shot that I get in a game. Uh, we hook it up. And it's on our iPads on the sideline, and almost immediately, like as soon as the play is done, I've got that previous play, and I've got the butt shot. And then our offense coordinator who's up in the box, he has the wide shot. So he gets to look at all the DBs and all the fancy stuff that offense coordinators look at, and I get to see what I care about. Tight butt shot where I can see tackle to tackle, and I can see what a defense is lined up in, if they have any tips of where they're slanting, where they're hitting, and exactly where they're lining up. Uh, it's got 24-7 support a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. SkyCoach is the market leader in sideline replay. You can go visit them at myskycoach.com. Uh, as I've been talking about a little bit lately, uh, I've obviously got my course on Coach 2, but I started, uh, started looking around in there and, and finding other courses that I want to look through, a couple different offensive line courses that I'm interested in. And, and right now I'm finishing up my course uh, with Gus Malzon. And, and guys, it's, it's been really, really good stuff. It's obviously uh, awesome to learn from names like Gus Malzon uh, through those courses. And now I'm searching out and trying to find even more courses because it, it was very, um, you know, very stimulating intellectually and, and got me in a good place to sit down and, and really think and and get to learn more about such that at high-powered uh, Malzahn offense. So uh, it's been going really well for me. I've been very excited to get to go through some of these different courses right now and uh, at Coach Tube. And obviously, you know, I'm still going through YouTube. I'm looking at all the free stuff, and and we're trying to put free stuff out there for you guys. You know, we're coaches. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of time. So that's kind of the big balance, right? You know, YouTube, I can get on there and I've got to search. It's got to take, you know, quite a bit of my time that I don't necessarily want to use, especially in the summer when I'm trying to, uh, you know, be around my family. So uh, the way to balance that out is I can use CoachTube and I pay for a course and everything that I want to know about that course is in that one area. And I can look at it on my phone, my tablet, my computer, and that's been awesome. So if I do have an hour where, 
the kids are asleep and the wife's away, I, I get to actually get on there and know exactly where I left off and really get to learn about exactly what I want to learn about through those courses. So um, obviously you guys go check out my course if you want to, but also go check out the the array of different courses that Coach Tube has, um, whether you're football or, or even if you're baseball, it's got a lot of other sports. But for me, with football, it's been it's been unbelievable, and I've really enjoyed some of the courses that I've been going through, and, and especially uh, Coach Malzon's course. On this episode of RTP, we talk with our good buddy Don Bartell. Coach Bartell is the head coach at Eastlake High School in Washington State, or if you're from Oklahoma, Washington State. Uh, listen as we talk with our good friend Coach Bartell about his football journey throughout the state of Washington, including a GA stint at Washington State, lessons for all coaches regarding leadership and personal development, and an entertaining conversation about coaching philosophy, hiring philosophy, education, books, movies, and how RTP has impacted his program and others across the country. You can follow Coach Bartell on Twitter at Coach D Bartell. Hope you guys enjoy. You sound professional right now. I mean, I, I might be out of a job already. <laughs> well, I haven't even started the radio voice. Get me live. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let's get it going, Coach. Um, we'll go ahead and, and, and get started. So uh, if you want to just go ahead and give, give people a little background. I know we've been, uh, you know, looked, looked into you a little bit. And uh, as Coach Walls has said, you know, you were a pack, what, I think pack 10 at the time champion and, yep. and now a, a coach in Washington. So if you just kind of want to, you know, tell our listeners and, and talk to us about, you know, kind of how you got to where you are now uh, being a coach uh, in Washington. Well, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, growing up, I was, I always identified as a wrestler. I, I was a three sport athlete, I think in high school, you know, I went to a real small school, um, what, 38 kids at my graduation. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah. And, but my town in my town, my school's known for my old high school is known for wrestling. So when I was five years old, my mom drove me in the parking lot in her 1970 Monte Carlo, you know, back when moms drove hot rods. <laughs> <laughs> and she asked me, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, my great grandma watched Portland wrestling, which was like, it was, it was NWA before NWA. It was Portland wrestling was so legit off the turnbuckle, foreign substance in the eyes, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And she said, well, you can't, you don't punch and you don't kick and try, I'll, try it. I'll try it anyway. And, uh, you know, I walked in that, that gym at five years old and met some of my best friends there. Um, and so, you know, I, I played football my whole life also, um, played baseball my whole life, but identified myself as a wrestler, always thought I was going to be a wrestling coach. And then when I got hired as a teacher right away, um, I got hired as a baseball coach which was crazy enough. I was a head baseball coach for the first five years out of college, which was insane if you really think about it, because yeah. there was nothing that I needed to have responsibility for because I couldn't even take care of myself. <laughs> um, but I asked the guy who hired me, um, the AD is now the district AD of a huge district up here. I asked him like, why did you do that? And he said, you know, at the end of the day, I just felt like you were always going to try to do the right thing. And I think I've ridden that confidence of that one remark for almost 25 years now. Um, it was awesome. really important uh, for me to hear that as a young coach. And then I got on the, on the football staff, started coaching football. It was a wing T offense. 
uh, we were a brand new high school. So I was the first head baseball coach and, and we didn't have seniors and we got our butts kicked in, in every sport. And then the next year in football, we went nine and zero in our conference and beat a team that was ranked top five in the West coast. And, um, you know, I coached the wide blockers on the wing T offense <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't long before I got really itchy and decided that, you know, let's see if we can do a little something. We had the four by 100 state championship track team on our football team. We had three of the four legs on our football team, I believe. And um, one of those kids ended up playing uh, in the Pac-10 at the time after he graduated. And I thought, let's just do something. We had quarterbacks like 6'3", can sling it. And so I got our head coach, who is a lifetime wing T guy, talked into calling two plays in the huddle. And if we liked what we saw from like a press corner, we would just call a different color at the line of scrimmage. The wide receiver would give a signal based on three little movements, which Rowdy was running and the quarterback would just throw it to him. And we started to just blow things up. Um, it was real interesting, but that doesn't last long in a wing T offense, you know, with a wing T head coach. And sure. it got to a point real quick where it was time for me to like, hey, if this is what you want to do, that's awesome. Somebody else is running the spread and they're going to love you. So, so <laughs> I, I walked away from that gig, um, maintain those friendships. I still talk to that guy. Uh, that staff of guys, by the way, was just phenomenal. I, I learned a lesson there too, that you have great people working with you. Boy, they don't last for very long. They're, they're on and moving. It's like they're always in demand. And, and, and so that was a really special deal. And then I jumped on with a guy who's a legend in the state of Washington, a guy named Steve Jervis. Um, and Jerv was actually the head coach of my rival in high school. And man, I hated him. They beat us <laughs> so bad, except one year I never let them forget about it. My junior year in high school, we thumped them. But they won two state titles while I was in high school, and, and he had just taken over um, a, a fairly new high school called Skyline. And, and, uh, and so he was looking for a DB coach, and I jumped to the defensive side of the ball with him, and I went through all the spring and the whole summer, and I had been working. Every guy that came in recruiting, I was working, like, I'm going to be a GA. I'm going to be a GA. I was 29 years old at the time too, by the way. Like, and I had never played college football and people told me I was nuts. It's never going to happen. I flew down to UCLA and worked their camp. I was at Eastern Washington's camp. I did WSU's camp. I did Matt Hasselbeck's kids camp. Like I was doing whatever I could to make connections. And then I'm, I'm in Sturgis, South Dakota hair down to my shoulders, rode my chopper all the way from Washington state to Sturgis and Mike Price calls me on the phone from WSU and says, hey, we'd love to have you come and be a GA. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And I said, thanks, coach. Thank you so much. He goes, on one condition, cut your freaking hair. And I'm like, done. <laughs> done deal. I, I hated that hairdo anyway. I'm done. Uh, but then I, I called Jerv and I said, uh, hey, uh, Coach Price just called me and I don't, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, honestly, I think this is my shot. And he said something to me that will, I'll always remember because it endeared me to him in a way that has just been the greatest. Um, he said, well, then I think you have to take it. And he remained in contact with me. He called me every week for three years while I GA'd. Um, spent all the time we could together. When I got out of that deal and back into high school, um, he was one of my biggest supporters. And so I've just kind of leaned on guys like that in that coaching tree, guys that have influenced me. Um, and that one's at the top of the list. So it's been a lot of fun for me. And then when I left WSU, I took a uh, D, D coordinator's job where I'm at right now, um, Eastlake High School. 
And I was there for three years as the DC. We won like 30 games with a great group of kids. We had some phenomenal kids in there. And it was like every group just kept getting better. And Eastlake had not really been a football school. They had had one undefeated season in league and then lost their playoff game. So they had never won a playoff game. And we went to two quarterfinals in the three years that we were there. Um, and so had a lot of success. And then I jumped from there to be a head coach um, at, a, at a school in a smaller town. Um, that was all 4A. That's the highest division in Washington. And then I jumped to a 3A squad to be a head coach. I was there for four years. They had no booster club. No, they had never gone to football camp. Um, the uniforms, you know, in the age of uniforms, right? They, their uniforms were still large, extra large was one size. Um, wow. Small, medium was another size. And, uh, and just some hardworking kids. And we jumped in there and went to the playoffs for the first time in 12 years. Went to back-to-back playoffs for like the first time in 15 or 16 years. And uh, started a booster club, raised I don't shoot fifty, sixty thousand dollars one year. We had a thirteen thousand dollar car wash. That's how hungry these people were for some success and some identity around the football program. And we raised some money. We were on a old school grass uh, grass field facility, um, historical like it's on the historical registry. It's covered sand. <laughs> deal. It's a beautiful place to to coach football. We raised a bunch of money. Um, got some grants and built a million dollar um, field turf facility, new goalpost scoreboard, the whole deal. And, and they made it the guy I handed it over to. They just won their first league championship this year. Um, so it was exciting. And then I left there after four years. Just I didn't do it right. I, I got I got so burned out trying to do everything that at the end of the four years, I was just done. And um, I remember standing at the 50 yard line with him when he was asking me about the job when he, after he had applied and he said, what are you doing leaving this place? And I'm like, man, it's just, it's time for somebody else who has that energy. And so I went back to Skyline, my buddy who was going to be my roommate 10 years before at Skyline was the head coach now. And we went 14 and 0, won a state championship helps when you have the number one quarterback in the country on your team and like three division one players. Um, and had a blast. And then middle of that season, Eastlake came open and it was a done deal. I mean, I was going back. It's the best place I've ever been. It's just, it's for me, it's, I got hired as the, as a leadership teacher. Um, and we haven't looked back. It's took one of my best friends with me as he's, he's our OC phenomenal coach, um, Kyle Snell. And, uh, so here I am five years later, we just finished our fifth season. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> awesome story. <Kyle. laughs> Yeah, not a lot of guys decide to be quit high school teaching and become a GA at 30, right? Very, very few, I would say. <laughs> I, I also did that. So I, I did the same thing when I, I'd left Jenks, and I know I, there was a couple holes in my game, and I went to Tulsa. So, of course, I was called, you know, the, the grandpa of all yes, the GAs. Yes. So. That's funny. But, my, my nickname at WSU was Coach Dude. Because you probably look, did you look like Lebowski then or what? I, the hair had been cut because I was terrified Coach Price was just going to send me home. But it was, there's, uh, you know, Jason Gesser was our quarterback back then. Yeah. And, uh, and Trufant, Marcus Trufant was on that team. And there were some dudes. I mean, there were some guys running around there back then. And I, the way Gesser tells the story is I just showed up one day out of the blue. And of course, they're like, hey, Bartel, go tell those guys that, you know, it's bedtime or curfew is at 10 o'clock tonight or whatever. It's during fall camp. And so I walked up to him and said, hey, fellas, make sure lights are out at 10. And they didn't say a word. 
I just turned around and walked away and I was like, they don't know me. I'm not going to stick around to get ridiculed. So I just kept walking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm thinking Gesser's got his picture up for high. He's in the running for the Heisman. This guy's not going to listen to me. Trufant's a first rounder. He's not listening to me. But I, one of them looked at the other and said, who is that guy? <laughs> Gesser's like, some dude. He's the dude. <laughs> Trufant's like, coach dude? He's like, yeah, coach dude. So I was coach dude for that whole first year that I was there at WSU. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. Well, you're a Seattle guy then, right? I mean, obviously Washington. So Harper and I got a couple of questions we got to ask before oh, we really yeah. get into it. Here we go. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> so is it, is it Nirvana or is it Pearl Jam? Oh, man. You guys would do that to me, wouldn't you? You better believe it. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you for a loop. I, I never go too mainstream. I, I was more of a like mother love bone before there was Pearl Jam. And I was, I was, I'm more of a Soundgarden guy. But to be totally honest, nothing, t- nothing tops Black Sabbath for me. So, you know, I, I only dabbled in that stuff, and I always stayed true to my roots. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, the the other big one is, and I don't know if they if the, if it's made it all the way up there up to the Northwest, the Great Northwest. But um, here in Oklahoma, we've got a few counties, and and even when we're talking about clothes. And we got some guys that, that say call it Washington or they wash their clothes. So not sure if that's that's made it up there to the northwest yet. We've heard it all. Washington is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we we've got, got a uh, we had a coach that really wore that out. He was always talking about he was washing his clothes. Well, we got a coach that uh Coach Broyles, who was actually on one of our podcasts, that yeah, he'd yeah. always he'd always give him a hard time. So he'd go uh he'd go yeah, the guy go, yeah, I got to go back to the house and wash my clothes. And Coach Broyles would say, you got to wash them, then you got to wash them too. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, you'd have to hear him say it, but it was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the other thing we get is, where are you from? Oh, Washington. He goes, oh, D.C. You get that a lot. Oh, D.C. No. <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> and I would say D.C. if I was from D.C. Yeah, it's too funny. You get that all the time. That's awesome. My uh, my. My uh, brother-in-law actually lives up in Washington. Um, he's at the the Army base. I'm not sure which. Oh yeah, I don't Joint know what. Lewis McCord. Yeah, so yeah. so he's up at the Army base. He's been up there for um, I don't know about a year now with him and his family. They just moved there from Georgia, so uh, oh, cool. he he loves it. My wife actually just got done. Her and the kids took a trip there this uh, summer, or I don't know, oh, sometime actually God. during the season. They went during the football season. They got to go down there and visit and go up to. Um, I don't know one of the one of the um, mountains, and and you know she just oh, yeah, obviously not... talked about how beautiful it was. Well, yeah, from the from the base, I'm sure you can find some real good looks at Mount Rainier. I mean, it's beautiful where I grew yes, up. That's what it was, Rainier. Yeah, yeah. that mount, the small town where I grew up was in the in the valley. If you're from Ording, you call it the Ording Valley. That's where I grew up. If you're from Puyallup, you call it the Puyallup Valley. Sumner <laughs> calls it the Sumner Valley. You know, but uh, but. <laughs> From where I was, we had this big picture window in our front living room, and the mountain was just gigantic. My whole life, that's what you stared at. And, and there's something special about it. You just People don't get that. They don't get that anywhere else. It's, it's really cool. Really cool. No, that's, that's un- unbelievable. I, you know, I've, and I've never made it up to Washington. I hope I do sometime, but been through like uh, Colorado, and it's yes. completely different from, from where I've grown up my whole life. And, yeah. you know, in, in Oklahoma, and then any trips we took were to Kansas or Texas. And so... I uh, didn't really get much different than being pretty flat. So you get, you get to where you see those mountains from miles off. It's, um, it's pretty unreal. Yes. It, and, and we, 
we always think that like, like right now, you couldn't pay me enough money to go outside right now. The wind is howling and it's, and it's just pouring down rain and miserable, but you remind yourself in the summertime, especially in the early fall, when you have the mountains and green grass and forests and lakes and the ocean, it's all right here. And it's all, you know, it take me two hours to get to the ocean, the legit ocean. I could get you to saltwater in 30 minutes, but I can get to the ocean in two hours. Wow. It's an incredible place to live. Well, I've got, a, I've got a couple of buddies now that I played college football with at Houston that they're both GAs at Washington State. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, Shane Ross, and um, I'm blanking on the other name, but he's the quarterback uh, GA as well. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And so, yes. But anyway, Shane, uh, he was always like a, I'm going to say mountain man. I don't know what else to call it, but he just <laughs> wanted to be out in nature all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. all I see is on his, his Instagram and his Twitter, him out in the mountains. And, you know, it, it's like they had practice earlier that day and he's found some mountain to climb or some lake to be at. And it's, it's pretty unreal. You know, I know he loves it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm heading over there next week. We got our spring break coming up. So I'm going to head over next week, catch a practice and sit down with their guys and kind of chat with them. You know, they got a new DC um, and I'd love to kind of hear what he has to say and, and visit with guys. I haven't been back in probably eight years and everything's new, new facilities. I mean, it's, it's incredible over there. So I'll have to holler at those guys when I get over there. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, it's Drew Hollingshead. Drew Hollingshead's okay. the, the quarterback and then Shane Ross. Okay. And I don't know what, I think he actually does defensive backs now. He was a receiver, okay. he was a receivers coach at Houston, but, or a player at Houston, but I think he, um, I think he does defensive backs, but yeah, you'll have to, you have to say hello to him. That'll be, uh, that'll be fun getting to go to that. I assume, uh, is that kind of, now that you're a head coach, is that the offense that you guys run, um, at, at your school? I know you're a defensive guy now, but what, what kind of offense do you guys run? Well, we're, it's, it's interesting for us because where we're at, we're, we have um, about 1800 kids in our school right now. Um, but like everybody else kind of in our area, we're noticing a little dip in numbers. We usually carry somewhere between 100 and 110 kids on our roster, 9 through 12. We're, we're dipped down below, nine, we're 95 right now, 90. So we get, <clears throat> we get kids that we mold what we do to them. So what we started with when we came down, and, and, and ROC does a phenomenal job. Um, he's probably, and I've been around some good ones. This is not hyperbole. Kyle Snell might be the best wide receiver coach I've ever seen. Um, he is cutting edge with what he does. He's always reflective. Um, and the way he runs our offense is adapting to the kids that we have. So we'll run 20 personnel like crazy. Um, and then we'll turn around the next year and be in only trips uh, and two by two, 10 personnel. And then we'll turn around the next year and be in two back again. Um, we, like to, we like to say that tight end in our program is invite only. And only one kid has been in the last five years. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but we throw the ball all over the yard. I mean, I would tell you that in the last two years, we've thrown for 4,500 yards um, combined. So, and our kids are completing 65% of their passes. So it's, it's pretty impressive to watch. Um, we've had a new quarterback every year um, for the last two, three years. For the last three years, we've had a new quarterback every year. Um, and so it's just molding those kids, figuring out what works in the system, um, simplifying it so they can just play. Our base fundamental piece is the greatest, the, the, I, I, how do I say this? Probably the most positive correlation between winning and losing is speed of play in high school football. If you can play 
faster than your opponent. Who, who is the guy that was on for the guy from Warner Robins? I was just listening to you guys talk um, to that O-line coach. And coach Terriman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was talking about his centers, like 5'8 on a good day, 220 pounds or whatever, 5'10, 220 pounds. It's like, yeah, <clears throat> if that kid plays fast, man, it's like Randy Hart, the old D-line coach at Washington who, who retired from, at Stanford, um, was his last gig, says all the time to me, like, Donnie, you can make up for technique by just having an incredible motor. And so we try to push our kids to play super fast. So our offense is built for that speed. Now, I'm not telling you we're going crazy Oregon tempo. We run no huddle because we just want, we don't want to have to be right when we break the huddle. We want to be right at the line of scrimmage. So that's where all that started. And so, but we practice, our whole culture of our program is designed to promote that style of play both offensively and defensively. I would tell you that I think I added it up one day. <clears throat> we, we script, say, 70 minutes of group and team time, offense and defense, because we, we have kids that go both ways. So we might have a heavy offensive day and, and a minor emphasis defensive day, but 70 minutes of scripted group and team time. Our goal is to run 160 to 180 plays in practice. And so – if that, if you divide that in half, our kids are getting a game's worth of reps every single week because you're dividing them by in half, right? So 180 reps, 90 on O, 90 on D, twos and ones, that's 45 and 45. And then the next day they get their other 45. They've repped an entire game. So when they show up on Friday night, we just cheer them on, just cut them loose and let them go. Wow. And, and that's what it's got to be for us. Awesome. And, I, and I've had on the defensive side, I've had the hockey mentality for a long time. Um, you know, you find a couple goons that beat up the better players on the other team, and we win. Um, I'm kidding you. That's not true. <laughs> I just wanted to see how far I could go with you guys on that. Well, well I was going to say, Goon is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I was just going to play along with it. I was just going to pretend like I knew anything about hockey. <laughs> well, I don't know anything either, but I will tell you this. I love the line change idea. I love that guys go out there and skate their asses off, and then a bunch of other guys just jump on the ice and take over for them. I love that idea. And so our twos get as many reps as our ones do, not because we sacrifice ones, the reps for the ones, because we go so fast and it's so important to get those guys reps. So we'll line change in the middle of a, of a, ser of a series. Like, let's go. Four new backers are going in the game. Um, and it's just one of those. We'd shoot, we did that in the middle of the state championship game five years ago, six years ago, and those kids got a turnover. Wow. Great thing. So – it's just that mentality of go, 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 go. And our culture feeds into that, supports that schematic for us. So on both sides of the ball, we just, that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And I, <clears throat> I have a philosophy with the kids. I don't, I don't need you to be mean. I don't need you to be angry. I don't need you to want to hurt anybody. I just need you to get to your spot faster than he does. Because if you come at it with more velocity and more speed, he's going to fall down when you get there. And the kids don't get it right away. And I, I always say to them, if I, if I took a 100-pound ball and stood at the top of the hill and rolled it down at you, would you stand in front of it? <laughs> you know what the answer is. Hell no. Yeah. I'll stand in front of that. So you tell me what you do with a 180-pound kid who's running, you know, as fast as he possibly can side to side. That guy's going to knock somebody over, you know. And, and with, with great skill, he's going to knock the ball out. So. Sure. The whole culture of what we do has to be, it has to be um, formatted and positioned around that. That's what drives everything we do is speed of play.
How do you guys what? practice that That's then, exactly Coach? What I was going to ask because I just okay. got back. I just got back from Nebraska, and I got to watch those guys in the spring. And to me, the way that those guys practice, and obviously, you know, they're they're Oregon disciples mm-hmm. there with Coach Frost. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it is all about them again. Yes, speed of play, but then they're also getting massive amounts of reps because they are doing two practices or two scrimmages at the same time yes. in almost all their periods. So I don't know if that's something that you guys have no. done or. Or what are wish, some ideas you guys have? I wish we could do that. We've experimented with like, because, you know, inevitably you're going to have those kids that are, um, <clears throat> sorry, that are all basically going to be your D only guys. They find their niche at linebacker. They're one of the best backers you've got, but they're just not a guard on offense. You know, just not going to play offense, not a running back. Um, we've experimented with going different color squads, uh, you know, like a red and a white. And then those kids practice that way so we can get some double scrimmage stuff going. But really what we do is we figure out how can we divide things in half as opposed to doubling up? How do we divide them in half? Seven on seven for us, two by twos, two quarterbacks, two halves. And we're just go, 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 go. We might do three by ones. We always have a quarterback thrown to the single receiver side and somebody thrown to the three receiver side. We will go um, four quarterbacks throwing four balls in seven on seven and we will have <clears throat> no quarterbacks throwing no balls in seven-on-seven. Seven. Then you ever have to chase a ball, and you're just going rep, 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 rep. We do two huddles in seven-on-seven. Seven. When we get to team, we have a run screen huddle and a pass huddle so that we just go bang, bang, bang. So we have our cards that are our seven-on-seven seven cards, and then we have our run game screen game um, at the same time. So we'll have one O-line coach running the, the screen and run game. We'll have our quarterback coach running the seven on seven. And meanwhile, we might have a guy over on the side with garbage cans lined up and they're running our D linemen through stunts. Um, as they're that first group of D linemen is actually running through stunts with the linebackers in their off time on the sideline before they run back onto the field again. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And I, that's one of the things that Kyle and I like to do is, is sit down and say, okay, what can we do better this year? What, four years ago, we sat in his room, locked the door, and said, okay, we need to lay out every piece of technology that's available to us. Just working off that Urban Meyer quote, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen that one where he said a long time ago, like, we have the greatest tools available in the history of mankind at our fingertips. The fact that somebody could say, well, we just don't do that is unacceptable. And so I love that. Yeah. And I have that same argument with my, my uh, kids at school every, uh, you know, all the time when they're like, well, I just don't, I just don't know it. Or the, you know, a couple of them will be like, you just, you didn't teach us that or something. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you've got, you've got um, something that people would kill for a hundred years ago at, in your hand. You know yeah, I mean? be, be an active participant in That's your own right. rescue. Like, <clears throat> I had no patience for that. It's unbelievable to me when I meet a kid who doesn't know how to do something on the computer. I'm like, I'm 45 years old, and I got a Yeti microphone, buddy. Get on my level. <laughs> yeah. They, I, there's kids that can't even, like, like Google search something. <laughs> that, that's the thing that blows my mind. You're like, I'm like, I mean, maybe they don't want to or whatever, but I'm like, yeah. dude, there's times I bust out my phone in class, and I'll yes. speak into it. Hey, hey Google. Yes. And I'll, and I'll answer, I'll like ask the question, you know, what, what is the formula mass of calcium chloride and it, and read it off to him out loud. I'm like, and you guys are too lazy to do that. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious right now? 
I yeah, mean, and what's crazy is the, the juxtaposition of that and the absolute geniuses that I see walking the halls by me every day. It's like, I'm not that smart at 45. So you, it's almost like the center is disappearing in academics and athletics. The center is disappearing. We have kids that are eight feet tall as freshmen and we have kids that are four feet tall as freshmen. We have kids <laughs> that are like 4.0s and perfect SATs and we have kids that like don't have four credits at 18. And it's like, <clears throat> I don't know what's happening, but it's almost like in all seriousness, it's almost like we are, if you can't be the best at it, we just don't try anymore. Just quit. Yep. Yeah, and it's so tough for me to watch that because, you know, I, my situation growing up was um, my dad was a, was a blue collar guy. He was a, a glazer glass worker. Um, he grew up on a farm. He never played sports. He's a fraternal twin. So my uncle was the one that got to play the sports and my dad was the one that stayed on the farm and, and did the work. And so growing up, my dad was like, Hey, sports neat, son. If, if that's good for you, go do it. But you know, he didn't always go to my stuff and, and sports just kind of became my thing. And I, I had to kind of work my way through a lot of stuff. I was a, a, a maladaptive competitor to say the least. I was throwing chairs at 10 years old and I mean, it, it was a nightmare. And and, and sports kind of taught me what I needed. And I didn't, you know, we always, always talk to kids and, and the coaches on our staff of like, kids don't work on our timeline. I, I would love to be the guy that walked in the room and said, gentlemen, this is what you need to know. And then lives just changed. But it doesn't <laughs> no. happen that way, right? And, and, no. I, and I try to know as much as I can talk to, as you guys know, we talk, try to talk to as many guys as I can about what they're doing and how that goes. But the reality is, it's delayed sometimes 20, 30 years. And my high school football coach, after a junior year where I was a holy terror, I knocked over other benches. I, I was a, a, pen, a personal foul penalty waiting to happen. I was <laughs> arguing with the, I was a nightmare, an absolute wreck. And my high school football coach called me into his office at the end of spring and said, um, I, I don't want you to turn out for football your senior year. And I would, I, I just remember looking at him like, what? Because I'm a starter both ways, never come off the field, play all special teams. And I could play multiple positions, you know? And he's like, I just don't have the energy for it anymore. And I just was crushed, crushed. And, and I, I remember walking out of there thinking, well, I'll show him, blah, blah, blah. Well, it worked perfectly for him. It's exactly what he wanted. It's exactly what he needed to have happen. And so um, it was one of those things where, I look back on it now and say, thank God for him because he changed yeah. everything. And then wrestling season that same year, that next year, my senior year of football was great. Every time I got a penalty that year, I always said, coach, he said something about you. I was just sticking up for you. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and my senior year of wrestling that year, my dad, you know, I think he was nine days before his 43rd birthday, just had um, ventricle fibrillation and died in our, in our living room. Um, wow. I came home from wrestling practice. It was the league, the week of the league tournament. And, and I was one of the better wrestlers in our area. And um, his funeral was on the day of the tournament and I never wrestled again. Um, but my wrestling coach that whole week after my dad died, um, you know, he would come to my house and pick me up and take me back to the wrestling room and just, he and I would just wrestle and, you know, I would wrestle and cry and wrestle and cry and wrestle and cry. And then he'd take me home again, you know, and I, just one of those things where you look back now and you think none of that was easy for me. None of it. And it all has value because I was going to make damn sure that, that my dad's death, because I knew how he would feel about that. My dad's death was never going to be the reason I ruined my life. 
never. Because I could never dishonor him in that way. He was way too hardworking and he cared way too much about us as a family. I was never going to do that to him. Well, uh, you know, as awful as, as I'm sure that was, because I couldn't even imagine, you know, being that young and, and having your dad pass, uh, it had actually happened um, fairly similar with, with my dad as well. His, his father died when he was 15, and now he's a head coach. And one of the things I think that that, that does, that helps him with is, you know, now you can actually talk to some of these kids that go through some of these same situations. And like mm-hmm. you said, there are some people that let that affect them um, in, a, in an extremely negative way the rest of their lives. But you get a, um, you know, a very unique perspective uh, yeah. to how to talk to these kids and, and help them through that time. Yeah, what's crazy about it is um, the, the length of, or I, I should say, you know, like empathy is that idea of intentional imagination. Like I've never been in your exact situation, but I'm going to intentionally imagine how you might feel based on the worst moments in my life. And it allows you to really have a range of empathy with people in your lives from my wife and my own kids um, to the kids that I come across every day. You know, we had a kid on our team. um, The older brother played for me in my first two years back. And this kid's going to graduate this year before his junior year. His dad died of brain cancer. You know, and, and the fact that I just get to put my arm around them and be like, hey, man, um, I kind of know what you're going through um, has really helped our relationship. And so it's it, it, there are studies been done on it, too, just so you know, like I'm at the edge of that range. The earlier your parent passes away, the, the greater the likelihood of your personal greatness. They, they, they go back and look at people who have altered the world. And they, there's a, a glaring similarity there of when they lost the, the fact that they lost the parent and how old they were when they did. What is that? Did the what's the study say? The reasoning behind that? It, does it have any any? I, you know what? what the, I've come across it. Um, I'm trying to think if it was it was in one of the books. It was in either um, Talent Code um, or oh man, what was the other one I read? Um, I'll think of it here in a minute, but I ran across it there where that's where they gave the age range. And I don't, it didn't go in depth. It just said that, you know, the value of the struggle, you know, the value of, of, of enduring something like that was really what they focused on. Um, I'm sure just as many people, maybe twice as many, three times as many, um, turn the other way. You know, I, I think what scared me was growing in a town where growing up in a town where everybody knows you, people were willing to give me a pass and that scared the living hell out of me. The, the idea that I could, I could set my life on fire and, and people would say, well, you know, his dad passed. And that to me just, that scared me more than anything. It, I saw it. I saw it. I did things. I mean, it wasn't like, I, it wasn't like right out of the gate. I was just this great human being. I was sure. not. And, and so there were people that gave me a pass and, um, you know, I remember one of my teachers, I did something pretty awful one day. And I don't know if the statues of limitations has run out yet or not. So I'm not going to say anything. But, <laughs> That's probably a good call. <laughs> but uh, he, one of my teachers found out about it and he walked by me in the hallway and he said, Hey, I know what you did and I have no respect for you. And I was like, okay, cool. And kept walking. Huh. Uh, but he didn't turn me in and he didn't get me in trouble. Um, and thank goodness, because maybe he thought I could turn around, but at the same time, nobody wanted to pile anything more on me. And so I just take that and run with it. Now I just want to go straight at that stuff that I just have a desire to live that kind of life. Like I want to be 
I want to, I want to experience it all. My mom died last season, three days into football of cancer. Um, her cancer came back right away and it was from Memorial day to August 19th and she was gone. And, uh, and you know, I, I had a really good buddy of mine that coaches in the area too. And he's, he's always told me, Donnie, you got to lean into the knife, man. If you duck and dodge and move around and you're going to get, you're going to get flesh wound after flesh wound after flesh wound. You sometimes you got to grab the wrist, take the whole blade, see what it has to offer. And then you can just start healing or you can try avoiding it for your whole entire life. And I'm like, give me the blade. I'll take it all. Cause I just want to deal with it. So that's maybe that's kind of what it does to you. I don't know. Sure. That's, that's great insight. And it's, it's crazy how, how you can go one or the other way, you know, like uh, again, I've told it a few times, so I don't want to, you know, bore everyone again, but uh, my dad, you know, had, had three other siblings, you know, he, he passed or his dad passed. And then um, he had a couple siblings, all, all older, but a couple uh, uh, two brothers that went definitely not the, not the correct way, I would yep. say. And yeah. uh, had a sister that was on the right path. And, and he kind of had a choice as the youngest at 15. His dad passed. His mom uh, went to Ireland for a year or oh, uh, wow. six months, whatever. So he was at his house on his own, you know, taking wow. care of the house for a summer. And uh, had two brothers that were definitely not living right, weren't really even allowed at the house. Had a sister that was living right, but it was a little bit older and, and out of it. And so, you know, it's just – he. I think he was – you know, I think it's something probably innate in certain people, um, but um, was lucky that he had football that he could go to and, and be around a bunch of football guys and want to be, you know, like you said, it's really easy to go one way or the other. And, and I think that he would say, you know, it's obviously something that's already in you, but um, was lucky that he had football and found that he loved football and could kind of get lost and just wanting to be really good uh, at football. Well, you know, and that football provides you that opportunity to be around multiple different coaches with different styles, with kids who all play a different role, and everybody has value. And, and so there's no better place to be than that environment for any kid. And so I, I found myself, you know, looking back now at 45, looking back in retrospect, it's like I've always been drawn to these to these older guys who have a calm nature about them, who just seem to have this big picture wisdom about the world. And I can't get enough of them. I just can't get enough of them. And I've been lucky enough that those guys are reciprocated by teaching me what they know um, and believing in me, mistake after mistake. Um, and I've been really fortunate. And that's just, football's just different that way. If our kids don't, if the kids in my linebacker group do not relate to me, there are seven other guys or eight other guys on our varsity staff that they can relate to. And, and we'll do that sometimes. We'll look at a kid and say, uh, you know, I, I've, told, I've told guys before, like, I really need you to go follow up with Jimmy because I ripped him during Indo today and this is not working out well and he really needs a boost. And I know he loves you. Can you walk by and just give him some love real quick? Um, and we do that stuff yeah. at practice all the time. Because, you know, it, you have to work to get permission from kids to coach them. And I know yeah. a lot of guys that have way too much ego to admit that. And that's too bad for them. But we love beating them on Fridays. They, you have to, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you absolutely have to understand that this is all about trust and it's earned. You know, love is something you give out freely. It's unconditional. And it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you need, you know, agape, action-based love. Um, 
But this idea of trust, some of us who are emotional guys like I am, um, you have to build that trust, get permission from kids to speak into their lives. And then once you do, it changes everything. And, and I've been asked the question before, like, hey, you guys do a really good job of the relationships with your kids. Well, yeah, we do. We definitely do. It's a, it's a point of emphasis for us as a staff. I can't have a guy on our staff that can't relate to kids. Doesn't happen. Yep. You know, I've got guys that are grumpier, guys that are a little bit harder on them. They need that too. But we don't, we don't have relationships with our kids to get them to play better. That's a natural byproduct of just being good coaches, good people, right? Mm-hmm. We have relationships with our kids because – We've had incidences. We went through a bad patch there for about four years. We were had, some of our dads had strokes. It was the weirdest dang thing. Now we're in a, in, a, in a situation where it seems like cancer is everywhere. And it's like those kids are coming to school and they're looking at you like, I need to know what this means. I need to know how to deal with this. I need help with this. And if, and if your relationship with those kids is transactional, you, you don't have anything to say to them. You can't have that conversation with them because – it, it just doesn't work um, because the kid knows the only reason you like me is because I can play press man. Like, when I can't yeah. play press man, you don't talk to me. When I, can't, when I can't block a three technique, you don't talk to me. You know, if I can't pull as a center and snap the ball, you don't have use for me. You know, like those are the things that, that kids worry about if they have value. And when you tell them they have value just because you're there on the team and with you, um, then they're more likely to let you into their lives, which means that it's a more rewarding experience for all of us. I, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent what coaching is. Yes. If you can build, build the relationship and it's like you said, they, they give you that, that permission, then you're able to, to pull it out of them. And that's when you get the, the greatest stories, the greatest performances, the speaking, the, the greatness into those kids. Yes. And they, and they obviously go on and they, they do those great things, but I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, we, we weren't angels when we were younger. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't angels when we were in college you know, we weren't angels when we were in our, our 30s. Yep. You know, I, I had a, a lot of dirt on me. And it was always a quote I kind of took from from uh, the movie Training Day. Is, you know, some, some of these guys, you got to have a little bit of dirt on you mm-hmm. in order for them to trust you. Yep. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of kids that aren't saints, that aren't angels, yep. you know, that, that are, are going to have criminal records, are going to have problems with their families, broken families, whatever it might be. But when they know that you understand that, you've been through that, you're, you're not scared to, to talk about it and, and mm-hmm. tell them about it, all of a sudden, man, that opens up a ton of, of avenues for you. And that's something that people that don't coach, they don't understand. Yep. And they can't believe it when, when you're able to, to have that relationship with them. I mean, it happens to me almost on a weekly basis. They're like, you actually had that conversation with the kid? Yeah. <laughs> we have those conversations all the time, brother. Because we, we get each other and we've, we've yes. had that opportunity to be able to, to talk about things like, man, here's a time when I really messed up. You know, here's yeah. a time I was trying to date this girl and I really messed up, whatever it might oh. be. But I mean, th- that just stuff is, is why you keep coming back to coaching. It ain't the rings. It ain't the wins, yeah. man. It's, it's those stories you hear from those kids when they drop you a line or drop you an email and they say, you know what, coach? Remember that one time we talked about that? That really made an impact on my life. Yep. That's awesome stuff, Coach Bartell. Appreciate it, man. Yep, yep. And, you know, I've, I've done two, um, two weddings. I've officiated two weddings in my lifetime. One of them was, in this, was one of my students, and the other one was a guy that was an assistant coach with me while I was a D coordinator. Um, and I'm going to do another student's wedding in 2019. Like, there's no, there is no greater compliment in the world when somebody says to you, I trust you enough to share things about my life with you, you know, and, and 
you carry that out onto the field with you and you're, there's this bond and this ownership over that relationship. It's, it's so unique and it's so special. Um, it's like nothing else. And, and when you look at the people in your life that you idolize, and I remember, I remember this, that like the toughest lesson you learn in your life is finding out your parents are people because you, <laughs> think, you think they just got there. Yeah. Just, they've always done it right. The looks on kids' faces, when you start to understand the magic of lowering your defenses, getting rid of your ego and looking at a kid and saying, I'm going to tell you something. I was there and I didn't even do something as smart as what you did. <laughs> Here's how it worked out for me. It's awful. And the kids are funny. My, <laughs> the kids in class will bring up names of kids I went to high school with because I tell them the stories and like, well, you know, you don't want to do what Holly did to you. And I'm like, yeah, that was a rough patch. You know, just stuff like that. <laughs> because they want that reassurance of I can screw up and I can still be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there's four big lies that we live by um, in the world, especially we, we grab onto them when we're young. And I think we carry them on. And one of them is uh, I have to meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself and be worthy of love. Um, I need to be approved by certain people in order to feel good about myself and be worthy of love. Um, the third one is people who fail deserve to be punished um, and are not worthy of love. And then the fourth one is kind of the catch-all. And this is the dangerous one. It's I am what I am. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. Ooh. And kids are always looking at those and wondering because you're trying to figure out who you are. And we carry those with us. It's the lens we see the world through. I'm, I'm a big lie number three. I think people that screw up should be punished. So I lay on my horn on the highway all the time. I shake <laughs> my fist at people. Like, like, it's so futile and so stupid. But I recognize that about myself. And I have to kind of pull back and say, no, I don't deserve to be punished for this. I'm learning. I'm going to keep moving. And then to be able to share those sorts of things with kids and say, okay, which one are you? Which one are you? And Kids will say, oh, man, I just feel like I always, always, always have to get the approval of people. I need to just start believing in myself. Um, and those are the types of things that happen in those relationships. When you start telling kids, man, I used to think I was like this and I'm not. Kids get a lot of encouragement from my stories. They'll say, man, coach, you are such a loser and look at you now. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I wasn't a nice person. I just wasn't a good person. And, and I don't shy away from that because I want them to know you guys are 15 to 20 years ahead of me right now. You are going to be phenomenal parents and phenomenal employees and people are going to love you and, and you're going to be a phenomenal spouse someday. It's going to be awesome. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, it's an incredible gift that we have and people don't get it that aren't around it. They don't understand those conversations. And every once in a while, they catch wind of one or they're standing there and they'll be like, when the kid will walk away, they'll go, wow, that's how you talk to your football players? You're like, yeah, these are the dudes, man. These are the yeah. dudes. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, Coach, another interesting you know, point that me and Walls have actually talked about is, is just how well-read it seems like you are. I mean, you've got uh, – hit us up on Twitter, and we're, we're barely able to read through the, the tweet that you just sent us, and, and you've already got a new book for us. We're like, golly, how does this guy have time to read all these books? I mean, it's pretty, pretty unbelievable. But, um, you know, obviously, hopefully it's through uh, Audible, you know, through our Audible link. Throw that yeah. out there. Probably sponsored by Audible. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it, it's um, it's just crazy. So, so how do you how do you find all that time? And it's it's honestly, it's really impressive your attention because I've read a lot of books and and I keep some stuff and some stuff kind of floats away. But I've just never been a big note taker. So, 
how how do you you know retain all that information that you have from from reading or listening to or 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 um you know just going through all these books and all these um all of this just different knowledge that it seems like that you have do you, you want the 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 worst answer in the history of this podcast i don't give know. it <laughs> I, don't know. Hey, I, I will tell you this like i know I know what I need. Like in my gut, I feel like I need something. You know, we were talking about Fighter's Mind recently. Yep. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, man, I needed that book when I read it. I was looking for something like that and I found it. And when I found it, I just eat it up because I was never a reader. I'm an English major. Um, so at a point in college, I was like, what the hell am I doing? I don't read. I never read a whole <laughs> book in, in high school. But that's not true because I found my mom's copy of Catcher in the Rye when I was little and, and To Kill a Mockingbird when I was little. I read those books because nobody made me, right? I read the whole series of Narnia when I was like nine or 10 or eight, something like that. Um, and so I've, I've always, I've had a good feeling with it. I just never did it when people told me to. And then now life is telling me like, man, you got a hole in your, it's like, what's that? Mr. Baseball, you got a hole in your swing. Like I better fix that. And sometimes books will end up in my nightstand. People will give them to me and then I won't read them. Like my fit, one of my favorite books um, is the servant by James C Hunter. And I know I've, I've thrown that out to you guys before it is it. The premise of the book is what exactly what I think leadership is about. You get permission from people by serving their legitimate needs, by sacrificing for them. And that, that, that idea of I'm going to sacrifice our relationship for the next two days, two weeks, two months, two years, because I'm going to tell you what you're doing isn't good enough. And that hurts and it's tough, but I love you. So I'm going to say that to you. And Coach Trimble, when I heard him talk last spring, said something like that. He's like, they, he said they had a, a situation that happened, um, you know, with one of their players and he was disappointed and he's like, you know what? at the end of the day, it's, I have to say these things when I have these feelings, I have to be able to say them to people because I love you. And I'm not afraid to say these things because I love you. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to help you. And you can be mad at me if you want, but that's what it's about. So I read that book and jumped on it. And, and it's kind of been that way. I didn't read for the last year and a half. I was messed up after my mom died. I was like, I couldn't quite find my groove. And I've read four books in basically the last month and a half. And I don't do that either. I think you should read a book and sit on it for a while. But I've read Conscious Coaching. I read The Upside of Your Dark Side. I read Above the Line, which, oh my God, that unbelievable book. Yes, it and is. Then, and then I get a hold of my buddy down at uh, Hoover, Josh Niblett. And I'm like, Josh, I know you've read this book. And he's like, I got one better for you. I'm like, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. <laughs> and he's like, it does. Legacy the New Zealand All Blacks, read that book, brother, and then call me. And I called him yesterday and he was like, gloating, told you, I told you. <laughs> I, I just savored that book. I could have read that book in a night. I was just, everything about it is incredible. I couldn't recommend it enough. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it hits me when it hits me and then I'll go times without reading a book and then, and then I'll, I'll hear a recommendation on a podcast or something and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe it's time I look into that book. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's in my nightstand. It has been for five years. I probably should read that book, <laughs> you know. So. Well, I, I just started a book called Tribe, and I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. I've who, heard about this. Who wrote it? But um, I just started it today with my workout. Um, and so mm -hmm. listening to it, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. But it, it's kind of, kind of, you know, 
reassuring me almost why we do these podcasts as well as trying to help coaches. But it's like building that tribe of people that are all working to the same goal. And it's kind of like it's in your it's in your being. It's in your nature from from uh, way back in the day. So kind of cool. And I, I got that off of uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. He's oh, talked yeah. about it a bunch. So kind of yeah, what I'm going through and then I'm uh, going to try to work my way uh, through to some of the ones that, that you have uh, told us about, but um, I don't know. I don't know how you have the time to do it, coach. That's pretty, that's really impressive. And again, the, the uh, recall that you and coach walls have is, is uh, really <laughs> impressive. That must be a coordinator thing because um, I, I wasn't blessed with that gene, whatever that one is. Well, it did just start with lines from Smokey and the Bandit back in the day and just sort of progressed after that. Yeah. I was just saying, I mean, for me now, I mean, with all these, all these books, it's perfect because my mom always likes to get me books for Christmas. Yeah. So she's got, she's got like Christmas presents now for the next 10 years, I think, with all the books you've given me. It's perfect. <laughs> well, and I, like I said, I feel like it, it's the same thing when you go to a clinic. If you really know what you're, what you're after – then, then you can show up places and get so much more out of it. And I'm going to yes. tell you, I think that's what separates guys. It's, it, you know, I stopped talking about X's and O's a long time ago. Yeah, you, know, you, got, I, you got to have a plan. There's no doubt. Yeah, and I, I just feel like everybody's got such great stuff. And, and I got tired of being the guy in the room. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but what we do, I love being the quiet guy when people talk <laughs> X's and O's. I love yep. it because I just soak it all up. But I think more than anything, what separates us is what you hear. People don't hear the same things. They just don't. And I used to just think it was kids when I was teaching English, but it's not. It's everybody. Like, what do you hear when you're reading that book? What do you really hear? Like, what, like, we were talking, Josh and I were talking about yesterday, like, what's written on your heart? What, what is it that just reverberates, um, that, that signals to you? Like, I know it's getting way, this is English major coming at me again, but <laughs> the idea of like, you read that stuff, like I'm reading about Dan Gable and fighter's mind and I'm in it, man. I'm in that wrestling room at Iowa and I'm getting it and I'm hearing what he's saying and it's sticking with me because I'm experiencing it in that way. And guys will walk out of a, out of a conference and be like, oh, you know, he was all right. It's like Dabo Sweeney was out at the Nike conference in Portland uh, a month or so ago. Oh my God, I could listen to that guy for five hours if he would do it. And he would have. He killed it after two hours and had 37 slides left still. But, <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, as I'm sitting there, what are all these other guys hearing? Because I'm hearing Dabo say, I've reduced it to a standard. So I can look at a kid and say yes or no. That's it. In all of that, that's what I'm hearing. It's phenomenal. And it's so reassuring. So I think that's a big part of it, too. Well, we went to me and Walls and uh, Coach Alexander and and Annal and uh, Burgess. We all went to a uh, uh, clinic in Michigan. Remember that Walls? And we were yeah. listening to who was it? Was it their offensive coordinator? Um, when we're up in the stadium. Yeah, yeah, in the stadium we went and listened to the offensive coordinator. Uh, shoot, I forget his name. So we're listening He's, to the offensive coordinator at what they've dubbed the the greatest clinic on earth or greatest clinic of all time. And, and he's talking about, and I don't even remember what at this, I don't even remember anymore, but was talking about <laughs> something, how they threw their quick game. And, yeah. and this, uh, this high school coach pipes up and he's like, well, you know, at uh, wherever we like to do it off of two steps. So uh, do you ever do that coach? And I'm just like, Hey, well, why don't you listen to the Michigan offense coordinator while you're here at the clinic there, bud. Oh, I love those that's, guys. But that's I love a, those yeah. Guys. 
It's like you're saying I mean, that, that guy, that guy, rather than sitting there and listening, he was sitting there concocting his rebuttal to everything that was being said. So rather than sitting there yeah. trying to look, trying to learn something, it's like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the next thing I'm going to say to the guy that's making $4 million a year, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Who's Where, whereas I, the guy he's just going to look at him and smile. Hey, yeah. That's a good idea. That's a good yeah, idea. That's, that's awesome. exactly what he did. He was like, yeah, yeah we've cool. never done that, but cool. Cool. <laughs> that worked for you. <laughs> it's always the guy sitting in the front that's not even taking notes, too. Have you ever noticed that? That's the dude. Yeah. That. He's got no yeah. notebook, no pencil with him, nothing. He's just at the clinic because he gets to get away for a weekend. Yeah, he's got, he's got four micro brews in front of him. <laughs> Yes, and he, he's got the courage. He's got the courage to ask the guy about you know. Well, if, if I if I was the OC at Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is gonna be good. I love it. Yeah, yeah, there's there's all types. We've been so bad before. I remember uh, when I a few years ago we used to have it written up on the dry erase board in the coach's office. Types of coaches, and you got you got bonus points on the staff for being one of those guys during the during the week and so every <laughs> once in a while you'd be like why is jj wearing a backpack and they're like oh he's being the backpack coach today backpack guy. Backpack that was guy me today. that was wall <laughs> then you got the guy with the camo hat you got the, <laughs> my favorite one was we had an offensive practice and so the whole d staff decided we were going to be the come on let's go guys so I the entire time with young kids, come on, Walls, let's go. Yeah. yeah, the captain obvious coach, you got to catch yeah. that. God, you gotta, catch the ball, block that guy. You got to block that guy. <laughs> that, that game sounds awesome. I think we have to do that game. We used to, Walls, we used to have it. That game. Yeah, oh, dude, we used to have it. It was, uh, we used to call the guys neat guys. Those are the other guys. Hey man, check out how neat my offense is. Check out how neat how, how neat this this drill I got is. So we used to call those guys neat guys. And then when we go to the convention, the other one was we we were selling t-shirts, and on the front it was it would say I'm smarter than you are. <laughs> For every coach that you met there was the one we wanted to start. And I was Could like, I don't imagine? think anyone will buy them, but but we'll but we'll wear them, you know. Could you imagine mid conversation you just unzip your hoodie and just show that yeah. shirt off and just kind of stretch it out a little bit. <laughs> What's the best part is we had that list on the wall and one of the guys I was really good friends with found another staff walked in at, during the seven on seven to, uh, to grab a schedule and saw the list on there. And he's like, Oh God, which one of them am I? <laughs> you gotta be one of them. Everyone you have is. Have, oh, yeah. You have to have the construction worker, uh, <laughs> coach, the one with all the, the cones and, yeah. yes. and, uh, hula hoops at, at yes. indie drills. Yep. That's me. They look over there. It's like, God, there's a carnival going on, going on over linebacker safety today. And I got pop-ups. I got tents built. Like, you, got, you got lights. You got signs like pointing arrows. Yeah, you got three oh different cones. It's great. My D-line well, coach you, is like, geez, can I use the shoot just for five minutes today? Well, then, it, so then, of course, the other one we had, Harper, when we were there, if you're the guy that can't be any of those guys, then you're, you were, you were on the sensi board. That means you're too sensitive or you can't take a joke. So that guy would be number one on the sensitive board. I'm not any one of those coaches. All right, dude, you're number one. You're all time sensi. Hey, sensi board is the best because it, it, you can't win because you get put on the sensi board. And if you complain about being put on the sensi board, they, they move up. They move move up. Yeah. It's unreal. So there's a ranking on the sensi board. Is that what it is? It's like, what was like one through three and we go, we try to go one through three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So it's a picture of I think it was what's what's his face uh, Vanderbeek on Dawson's Creek crying. <laughs> yes. So that yes, was that was the picture on the board, and then you yes. had your your top three, you know. And anytime someone would say something was on the whiteboard, so you could just erase it and move them up a level. <laughs> There's been some other pictures on there too that we can't we can't talk no, about on. We can't the, talk yeah, about the podcast because we. <laughs> yeah. we That's we, the essence know. of high, the coaching, though, right? Low ego, high output. You just put yeah, your, yeah. your ego in the parking lot and coach your ass off. Let's go. And that's what, you know, that's kind of some of the most fun parts other than with the kids, but it's, it's getting around with a bunch of other coaches and, and just some of the funny stuff that happens in the office and, and some of the inside jokes. And it's just, it's a blast, man, that you can yes. even sit back and talk about oh. and laugh about some of those experiences. It's just great. Yeah. When I run across my guys from the last staff I was on uh, as a head coach, um, it's super meaningful because it was 10 years ago that we all got together and and they had never coached varsity football before and, and, you know, turned one of them into a coordinator and, and another guy into an O-line coach. And other guy was phenomenal for me as a wide receiver guy and my right-hand guy on offense. And it's, it's just special. It's just special when you can look back at the guys you've been with and be like, man, what a fun run that was. It's just cool. There's nothing like it. There's no doubt. Well, Coach, um, you know, trying to – we'll have to wrap it up now. It's getting up to about an hour. But uh, kind of the last, last thing that I ask everybody is, is you're watching an offensive line from another team. What would they be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Oh, man, I've been waiting for this. I knew you were going <laughs> to ask this. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the greatest answer ever. I kind of wish I wouldn't have asked it now. No, I don't, have, I, don't have a great, I don't have a great answer for that. You know what? All I can think about is this. As a deep coordinator especially, I love, I love when I look out there and I know we're going to be in a game in the trenches because they, those guys have composure. Like no matter what we do or whatever happens in the game, they stay connected. They're, they're not – they're not hitting you on the ground. They're, they're, you know, there's an air of insecurity for guys that do the little things. Like when I say that I was a maladaptive athlete, I was super insecure when I was a high school competitor. And so I know that mindset. It's like you're afraid of something. But when I see an O-line that has composure, those guys are confident. And the only reason you're confident as an O-line guy is because day in and day out, mm -hmm. you are getting it done. And your coach – you have ultimate trust in that guy. So for me, I love when we look out there and we're like, man, that was a, that was a drive. Like we got <laughs> after it. And those guys are like high-fiving and walking off the field. And I'm like, Jesus, we're never going to get to these guys. Um, I love that. that. That is one of my favorite things, hands down, is watching an O-line um, that has composure like that. It's pretty cool to watch. That's a great point. And, and to your point earlier, um, I think that something that helps that is, um, is obviously, you know, you want these linemen to be able to play fast. And the only way mm -hmm. to do that is to have them fully know what they're supposed to be doing on every play. Yep. I think that there's a lot of offensive linemen that play slower or people think they're lazy or, you know, don't know how to turn it on or whatever that they just, they just think way too much because they don't have um, a large enough knowledge base and what they're supposed to be doing and mm -hmm. it slows them down yep you know it's like Dabo said that night in Portland he said quit yelling at your receivers for jumping off sides when every drill you start on sound and I and I think about like how many times I look at an old lineman and he just looks confused and it's like okay there is something we're doing right now 
Now that doesn't count the kid who just doesn't, you know, he's in that bottom 10%, sure. um, you know, of kid who just doesn't care, um, is not trying to do anything to help himself. I'm just talking about that kid who's like so afraid of getting in trouble, but is so confused. It's like, okay, can we all own this for a second? Like, let's go back and ask ourselves what's wrong here. What is he not understanding? What is he not getting? And that's, yeah. I think it's the most complicated position on the field. And so when you have a great O-line coach, just like a great D-line coach, all the great one, all the great trench guys I've been around all have that one thing. They can take the most complicated stuff, simplify it to two or three things, and their guys just play hard. It's cool to watch. Well, you said about uh, Dabo, but that was the same thing we heard at Michigan Walls, and it, it was like the coolest thing I had ever heard. They talked about uh, doing a tip drill, and I don't remember what coach it was, but he talked about Dean, doing a, a tip Dean, drill. Dean Pease. Oh, yeah. 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 He talked about doing a tip drill, and he's like, well, why am I teaching these guys to, to not make the interception? <laughs> <laughs> that seems stupid. Why don't I have them catch it and then just throw it up? And I was like, this guy gets it. Yeah. Why are they doing yes. that? Yes. It's like, oh, my God. And all the, all the coaches are like, oh, I guess I've been doing the tip drill the whole time. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the great humbling moment of coaching when you're like, oh, God. And we I keep dropping that. interceptions and I keep yelling at the kids. Oh, maybe it's my fault. Oh. Every day they get 20 reps at missing the catch. <laughs> but they're great at tipping it straight up. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's really good. Uh, well, Coach, we, we really appreciate it, man. We had a blast. This was, oh, this was awesome. This was a fun one, dude. This was awesome. Me too, man. You guys are great. And I'm going to tell you, like, I, I got to give it up for those guys from the uh, Hog Football Chat, too. Um, you know, they, they started um, the other night with that co- the questions about what do you do in the offseason and, mm-hmm. and during the season to take care of yourself. And I, I, I gave those guys a shout-out. Um, I DM'd them on, on Twitter and said – you know, I just think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. And I, I follow the hog football chat. I follow Texas high school football, four, two, five, all that stuff. But I was glued to, to your guys' answers to questions one and two last week. Because I just felt like that's something we don't talk enough about. I'm 45 years old. I've outlived my dad already. And I think it's important for us to have those real conversations and to reach across the country, to be able to talk to a guy in Iowa, a guy in Oklahoma, a guy in Texas, um, have a conversation with, with a guy in Alabama and say, hey, how are things at home? What's going on with you? What did you do this year to kind of stay healthy? Like, we don't usually do those things. And there you guys were just laying it out. And guys were loving it. Because Dingus, like, I don't even know these guys, but I feel like I do. You know, he had a scare yeah. not, not too long ago. And it's like, oh, I don't care what prompted that conversation. I just thought that was valuable. So what you guys are doing, we don't get that, man, unless we get to go to your school and sit down in the office. And I know this podcast is funny because in the back of my head, I keep thinking about what Coach Trimble said to me. He's like, man, I, I love listening to you, but it's kind of like trying to drink water from a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, I, got, I feel like you just run at it. But this idea of like how small the world is, that you and I can go back and forth on social media, um, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, here I am. Like, that's just such a cool thing. And we will never know. Never know the guys that are listening who needed that laugh tonight about some of that stuff. That's the best part to me. And I'm going to leave you with this one last thing. We talk about it in leadership too. It's the amazing law of influence. When one life touches another, potentially both lives are changed. When one life touches another, potentially the whole world is changed. 
So I never want you guys to be thinking that your stuff is just about football. There's a lot of us that love listening to it on the way into work or while we're working out that just makes us feel like we're on a staff together, like a nationwide staff. And you're just sitting around the office drinking uh, Gatorade and, and talking ball. And it's awesome. So that's off to you guys. Thank you for doing that. Uh, that's, that's great coach. Cause that's exactly, you know, that when we, when we started doing it, that's what we wanted to, to, you know, that's what we were looking for. And, and, you know, you mentioned question one and two and, and it was something that, that we talked about and it's something that uh, the big one to me was uh, here about, you know, a little over a year ago, I, I stopped uh, drinking alcohol, um, you know, forever, Yeah. Um, you know, God willing forever. And so, um, it was something that you know, I don't talk about a whole lot, but it was something that, uh, you know, a, a guy had told me that he stopped and I never paid attention to it till years later and then thought, okay, someone like that cannot do it. Then it, it's something that I need to do with my life and yep. it's something that has, has saved my life. There's no question. And so, um, if anyone hears that, you know, I, I got yep. no problem with people that do or don't, but yep. something that definitely saved my life. Well, it's crazy because it's such, it goes against the thinking of when I got started 20, 25 years ago. Sure. Because there were guys that I, I'd sit around at clinics and I'd hear guys saying, well, we took him out <clears throat> to dinner and he didn't order a beer, so there's no way we were going to hire him. You can't have a guy on your staff doesn't drink. Right. And I'm thinking, there's no money yeah. like that, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. are, yeah. And I, and I just keep thinking, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard, because we played Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, um, and I, I remember hearing stories that like, Coach Stoops made his guys work out. Like he told them, you had to, yeah. you had to go. You're not going to sit in here and make recruiting calls. Get in, get in the weight training center and, and get after it. I don't, Versa climber, stairmaster, I don't care what you do. You want to be a power lifter, whatever, but get some of that out. And it's so incredibly important. And, and I, I started doing a 6 a.m. workout over the summer when my mom was sick. And I will say that saved me. I was in the best shape of my life. I did it at 6 a.m. so I wouldn't take time away from my kids. I would come home and, and then most of the time I would spend the day at her house. Like that idea that what we do is so incredibly important to the kids that we do it for and the people we do it with, that if we're not in the best shape that we can be, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we are never going to understand how good we could have been. And it's no different than what we tell our guys. No different. Absolutely. We tell our kids to improve. We need to improve ourselves every day. And it can't just be football. Yep. It's got, got to be your life, man. It's great, great advice. I know Coach Stoops had done that because he, he sat there and he watched his dad die on the sideline. So, oh, I mean, a brutal awesome. deal where he, he had a, a massive heart attack, so it kind of oh. struck him and the same kind of deal, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you having me on. It's way too cool. Thanks, well, Coach. We loved it, and I'm sure we'll get you as yeah. soon as we start, you know, bringing some some more people back on from from uh, season one, if you will. Uh, you'll be one. You'll be one of the first calls. Yeah, I, that, that was what that was that was what I was just gonna say. And like, dude, this conversation could go on for several oh, episodes. So it, it might just that. become like it might just be like chapter four of the uh, Coach Bartell show. <laughs> we'll just keep rolling with it. Yeah, you've already got the mic, man. You just need to get your own rolling. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you guys, you guys do that. I got enough going on over here. <laughs> I'm stressed to the max most of the time. So you guys keep doing it. I'll chime in every once in a while when you when you got space for me. You just let me know. Great. We will, man. We're we're we'll be huge fans of uh, of East Lake High, and if we ever get a chance to get out to Seattle, you know we're hanging out. 
And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.